Christ is born. Christ is born. Christ is born. I want to bless all of you for coming out in this extremely difficult night. Uh, people keep falling on ice all around here and sliding on ice and that sort of thing. And I'm, everybody who came here tonight, it's almost not an exaggeration to say it took their life in their hands. The first time when I came out to come over here today, I put my foot down on the very first step off my front porch and went right out from under me. Just went right out. Just first step, very first step. Some of you came a lot further steps than I did. You know, if I, if I was almost killed by just walking two doors over. I can imagine the rest of you. Tonight, my brothers and sisters, let me talk about three C's. The cave, the calendar, and the curriculum. Now, lots of our liturgical texts refer to Jesus being born in a cave. And that's a normal way that the nativity is portrayed in our iconography. Now, the Gospels do not say that Jesus was born in a cave. So that leaves things wide open for the historians of religion to figure out why Christians say Jesus was born in a cave. And the historians of religion point out that Mithra was born in a cave. Therefore, the early Christians were simply copying the myth of Mithra. They don't know much about the early Christians. I believe the portrayal of Jesus as being born in a cave is done in spite of the fact that Mithra was born in a cave. Okay. The early Christians would not have been at all disposed to draw attention to any similarity between Mithra and Jesus. Oh, there are historians like Campbell and others, Mircea Eliade and other people like that, for whom this is very, very important, where Christians see it very much through a Jesus lens. Probably the reason we say that Jesus was born in a cave is that it was common for shepherds to keep their sheep in caves during winter at night as a way of controlling them and uh, preserving some sort of shelter from the, from the wind. Doubtless that's the reason Jesus is portrayed as being born in a cave. That is to say, the sheer likelihood that that's the way it was. Yet it does have massive symbolism, although not the sort of thing that Eliade and Campbell and other unbelievers would ascribe to it. In fact, mankind apparently began in a cave. It would seem that way. That's why we still speak of the caveman, the caveman. What were the tools of the caveman? Well, in, pot, in, in, in popular mythology, the caveman was mainly characterized by having a club with which he would go out and subdue women. Okay. 
I don't really think that's a very good way to get a woman at all, honestly, a club. You know, at least I never, I never found that very useful. And not having employed it, I'll say that much. We don't know if the caveman had a club. If we should find one of those clubs and just say, personal caveman club, hands off, something like that, inscribed on the side, then we'd have some evidence. But we do know some of the things about the caveman. We know he had paintbrushes. The earliest art done by human beings, the earliest art, is in the walls of the caves. I've seen pictures of them. I've never actually gone down into the caves and in uh, Lascaux and other places. I've never done that. But I've seen pictures of their art. Jesus is born in a cave. What are the pictures in the cave, in, 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 in archaeology? What are the pictures down there? They're pictures of animals. Where do we find rooms with pictures of animals painted on the walls? In nurseries. Nurseries. We still do this to this day, day, don't we? Jesus becomes a caveman. Now that appears to me significant. He goes back to where man starts and he's born there. Which is why in the Gospel of Luke, his genealogy is traced all the way back to Adam. He's the savior of all of human history. When the caveman put his animals on the walls of the cave, when he did that, he was expressing something about the human spirit. He was creative. It was an effort at art. And man, in his most primitive stage, makes this effort at art because Writing would not be invented until about 3100 BC. We don't have any writings from the caveman. But if he did that sort of art, I must suspect that he also did poetry. I must suspect that he told stories, maybe stories about the animals. I must suspect that he sang songs, especially the mothers sang songs to little babies as they rocked them there within the walls of the cave. Jesus comes, the Son of God comes, to redeem all of that, to redeem every impulse and inspiration that has ever come from the mind and the imagination, and the poetic skill, and the storytelling impulse of human beings. The hopes and fears of all the years are met in thee tonight. He comes and he takes humanity at its origin, surrounded by animals, 
When the baby's born, his mother puts him in a crib. Now we, even, we, we take the name crib and apply it to any little baby bed. But in fact, a crib is a place where the animal's food is. That's the crib. A, a manger, we say. Manger in French. Mangiare in Italian. Manducare, both of them are manducare in Latin. Okay. Lead with a hand to eat. The bread of life this night is laid in a manger from which we all eat. Second, let's talk about the calendar. Tonight's gospel from Matthew simply says, in the days of King Herod. Apparently it was the last, very, very last year of King Herod, if the, if the, uh, the calculators and the historians are correct, 4 BC. Yes, Jesus was born four years before Christ, but that's just a problem. In the Gospel of Luke, it's more specific. A decree went forth from Caesar Augustus. The Gospels are careful to place Jesus at a specific time in a specific place. The time is important. Because eternity now enters time. Jesus is singular. Jesus is not just one of the great religious teachers of the human race. We Christians, we are not perennialists. It's very important. We Christians are not perennialists. We don't believe there's, there's one great perennial religion of which the gospel is one of the manifestations. We believe that Jesus Christ is the only way to God. When we recite the creed presently, as we shall do, we'll say, he suffered under Pontius Pilate. We go and document his death, his suffering, his resurrection, with reference to the calendar used by the Roman world. The Christian gospel is not just a general message that anybody could figure out. The Christian gospel has to do with the revelation of God's love in his Son and God's love known by us who are incorporated into that Son. That's why the calendar is extremely important. History. History is the way God has chosen to reveal himself. And the substance of theology and the substance of salvation history are not distinguishable hardly even by thought, certainly not, certainly not by reality, but hardly even by thought can one distinguish theology from salvation history, revelation from salvation history. That's what makes theology a living thing, because it takes place in living minds through the passage of time. It takes place in the church through the passage of time. The gospel itself lives, lives through the passage of time in the lives of people. It's integrated into lives. History is absolutely essential to our religion. It's not at all essential to the Buddhist. It's not even faintly essential to, the, uh, to anything, anything, any of the six, the, of the six schools of, of Hinduism. It's not essential to any of them. Without history, the Christian gospel simply falls to pieces. Which brings me to the third point, which is the curriculum.
two aspects of the curriculum. One is accommodation. That's an expression apparently first used in this respect by St. Irenaeus in the second century and developed later on in other fathers, but especially John Chrysostom used the same, same expression, accommodation, by which they mean that in order to instruct us, God has accommodated himself to us. He's broken down his, his revelation to little pieces that we, can, we pick up gradually over a period of time. And that's why even the revelation that takes place within sacred scripture is not given all at once. God, who in sundry times and in divers manners spoke in times past to the fathers by the prophets, hath in these last days, there's the calendar again, hath in these last days spoken to us by a son whom he hath appointed heir of all those things. God accommodates himself to our weakness. He softens his light so it does not completely blind us. Now, the other side of the accommodation is pedagogy, pedagogia. St. Paul says that the law, the Torah, was our pedagogos unto Christ. It's our instructor unto Christ. The picture of the human being implied by the incarnation and by salvation history the picture of the human being is that of a learner. He's a disciple, somebody who learns. What a, what a wonderful picture of what it means to be a human being. Essentially a learner. To learn the things about God. To learn God himself. And learning God to learn ourselves, to learn one another. That's why learning, study, thought is absolutely essential to the Christian life. The, the, a lot of people don't want to believe that at all. They think, they think the, the gospel and the religion is something that satisfies the emotions and so forth. But the notion we should love God with the whole mind seems not to have occurred to them. But in the Bible, man is portrayed chiefly as a learner. He learns the things of God because God instructs him through history. And that's why Christians place a high value on learning because that's essentially what we are. We're learners. In fact, in, according to St. Gregory of Nyssa, this is only speculation. I don't, I don't think I quite even understand St. Gregory. St. Gregory says we'll be learning even in heaven. That we'll go on learning and learning and learning and learning for all eternity because the subject matter is infinite. So we'll just continue learning. I have to tell you, that kind of appeals to me, the idea that the first thing they give you when you get into heaven is a library card. I, I mean, I really like that. Uh, in fact, I hope they even give you an Amazon account. <laughs> but what a wonderful picture, what it means to be a human being. Because the source of all knowledge, the source of all truth, is God. To say that a human being is a learner means that a human being was meant for union with God and familiarity with God. The cave then, and the calendar, and the curriculum are what are presented to us today when God's Son assumes our flesh and takes his place in our own history. 